Hi everyone, thank you for joining Midland Pulse, where we discuss topics within the 1031 exchange industry in 30 minutes or less. During this session, Dave Owens, President and CEO of Midland Trust, and Teresa Noer, Senior Vice President of Midland 1031, discuss insights on what's going on in the 1031 industry. Let's get started. Hello everyone, I'm Dave Owens, owner of Midland Trust. Welcome and thank you for joining us today at our new Midland Pulse session, where we're today we're gonna discuss the 1031 industry with current trends and other happenings. I'd like to introduce Teresa Noer, Vice President at Midland 1031. Thank you, Teresa, for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Great, well, thank you to all our listeners and watchers today. We're gonna to try to give you some uh, interesting insights on what's going on in the 1031 industry. So uh, we're going to talk about the business of 1031. So let me just give you a little brief overview. So 1031 is really a unique tax code section that incentivizes real estate investors. So if they sell and repurchase investment real estate of greater value, they can pay no federal and typically no state income taxes. So the benefit is to the seller is they don't have to pay any tax. The benefit to the government is that it's not just this buy and sell transaction, but it's an economic boom that extends beyond the typical real estate transaction. Because typically after you buy a piece of property, you renovate, fix it up. So uh, it's really a good thing for the government on both ends. Both Teresa and myself have been in this business for many years. Um, I've been in it for over 20 years and Teresa has been in it for close to 14 or 15 now, Teresa. Yes. Yep. Yes. So uh, it's an interesting business. You meet a lot of unique people. You see a lot of unique transactions. And um, there's really a lot of opportunity in the 1031 business. So uh, we've done thousands of exchanges. So we just want to spend the next few minutes talking to you about uh, the 1031 industry and some of the deals that we're seeing. So let me start out, Teresa. Um, so you, we get a lot of brand new clients come to us. Um, business is pretty consistent. Um, what's the first thing uh, you typically tell a client about a 1031 exchange? I think the first thing that I will typically do is I'll ask them to tell me about their transaction. So I, I try to not dominate the conversation and I just say, tell me a little bit about your transaction and what you're looking to do, because that helps us to determine how to guide the discussion and, and maybe how familiar they are with the exchange process. If they're brand new to 1031s and they're not quite sure where to start or what they are, then usually I'll give them an overview that, that 1031 is really specifically for the sale of investment or business use property. So we try and dig a little deeper in terms of the property they're looking to sell and what they are also looking to acquire. That gives us a good foundation and, and lets us know whether or not we can proceed with the discussion or not. If they're selling a primary residence or a second home, then we kind of have to <laughs> regroup and, and figure out maybe if there's an alternative strategy to employ. Okay. Um, yeah, I used to always tell clients a little planning goes a long way. So yes. um, while they don't have to call me months in advance, the sooner the better because we can uh, set the exchange up right. Definitely. So who is your typical client that's calling you and what kind of property are they exchanging? What, what do you see the most of? So the, we see the most of residential rentals being sold. Um, our clients are anything but typical. No two exchanges are ever the same, <laughs> which keeps it interesting. Uh, they usually fall under three categories. They're either brand new to 1031 and they have no idea what they're doing. They're 
real estate investors that are kind of dipping their toe into 1031 exchanges, or you've got the ones that are really experienced. Most of them fall in the middle. They're, they're already buying and selling investment property. They're looking to make some changes, typically looking to relocate. Um, a lot of them are considering retiring somewhere like Florida. So they're selling properties in the Midwest and trying to exchange into something in Florida so that it will, whether they eventually decide to move into it or if they just wanna make sure their investments are in the same place that they're gonna be living, it just helps them, like you said earlier with, with the planning phases. So, um, but the typical property that we see is, is residential rentals, either multifamily or single family. Well, it's uh, interesting. Uh, the people you meet along the way in 1031, um, they're always very, um, I don't want to say unique people, but they're always usually self-made people. They've done well. They've, um, they've held this real estate for a long time. Um, yeah. A lot of times we see as we because since we're in Florida, we see a lot of people that are retiring, like you said, that are selling a major investment and trying to come down to Florida to diversify. So mm -hmm. and uh, I think that trend has really been consistent, at least for the last 10 years. Um, and I think it's only going to um, I think with the psychological shift people are having right now with the pandemic, I don't think it's going to stop. I think it may even be more prevalent than we've ever seen it. So um, but. So let me ask you a few more questions here. Okay. So I have a rental property and I want to buy a more expensive investment property. Uh, what is the first step that I would need to do um, if I'm thinking about this? How, how would I, what would I do? I think the first and most important step is to reach out to a qualified intermediary because I, I think that's the biggest misstep that taxpayers take is they know they want to do an exchange or they know that one exists and that there's a benefit to them. But they overlook the fact that they need a QI. So that's the first thing is reach out to one, get it set up before you close on the sale. In terms of buying a more expensive property, that's great because that'll ensure that you equalize your exchange. Um, so there's no rule that says you have to buy equal, only equal value. You can certainly buy something that's more expensive. You just wanna make sure that you are rolling over all of the equity from your sale. And if you need to get additional financing for the new purchase, only finance what's needed to close. We sometimes run into situations where clients will buy a more expensive property, but they also don't wanna use up all the proceeds from their sale. And they need to push all that forward and only finance what's needed. Okay, so if the clients do not spend all the money and they get cash back at the end of the exchange, what happens? that'll be subject to taxable liability. So it's really, really important. The other thing is also making sure that you uh, reinvest into property that's of equal or greater value to what you're selling, not just the net proceeds that you receive. Net proceeds and what's known as the net selling price are two totally different things. So that's something that we discuss with clients as well is making sure they understand what they need to purchase in order to have a truly tax deferred exchange or the value that they need to match. Okay. So I think it's interesting. I'll tell a quick story here. So you said the first thing is you must have a QI to do a 1031 exchange. And I will never forget about 15 years ago, maybe more, I would met a guy at a real estate networking event. And he said to me, he asked me, so what do you do? And I told him we do 1031 exchanges. And he said to me, he goes, oh, I've been doing those for years. And I said, great, how do you do them? I said, who do you do them with? And he says, oh, I just do them myself. He goes, I just set up a bank account and do it myself. So 
you need to have this intermediary third party and the fees are very reasonable for a transaction. So um, you want to do it right because the, the IRS has set out these safe harbor rules that if you follow the rules that they're very simple. So don't do it yourself. That's the rule of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very true. Uh, um, so I want to ask you a question. You kind of touched on it. Um, you know, so what are some of the common uh, misconceptions clients have? I, I mean, I've heard the, you know, the net proceeds uh, is mm -hmm. definitely they don't understand that. Could you explain that in a little more detail? Sure. So um, it's known as the net selling price, and it's basically the contract or gross sales price less your standard cost of closing. Rule of thumb, any closing costs that you would see in a typical cash transaction are probably going to be deemed exchange expenses that you can subtract from your contract sales price to get a more specific number that you need to match or exceed on the new purchase. Again, you can purchase for more. If you purchase for less than the net selling price, then you're going to have some potential tax liability on the difference in value. But again, net proceeds and net selling price are not going to be the same, particularly when there's debt on the relinquished property that's being paid off at closing. You need to replace that debt some way, somehow on the new purchase. Either you get more debt or you bring more cash to the table or you do a combination of the two. But that's probably the biggest thing that that gets people tripped up is they they focus on but you're only going to net X amount of proceeds. So that's only what needs to go into the exchange. And that's not the case. Yeah. People love to pay. Uh, they think by when they sell a property and they, that had debt on it, that they don't have to replace the debt. Right. And um, because they're trying to make their lives easier by buying, but all they're doing is buying a smaller property. And when you buy down, you're going to have to pay more tax on it. So exactly um often and but most clients when you explain it to them um these people are real estate investors they like to keep their money in real estate they understand it they don't they're not worried about the logistics of real estate so they'll typically buy up and they'll find something that works for them so. we, we've been seeing we've definitely been seeing that is people are going sometimes twice as much as, as what they're selling for because they want to allocate and diversify into more properties. So they're not rolling all the funds into just one replacement property. Mm -hmm. So, well, and I'm also going to guess that at this current time with interest rates dropping, like they have, I'm sure they, if you're selling out of a property you bought 10 years ago and the interest rate was 6% and you can refinance at 4%. I mean, yeah. they, really good deal for you so definitely um, so talk to me about the 1031 industry and how the pandemic or COVID-19 um, has affected the industry and what the laws I know there have been some uh, adjustments to the regulations because of the pandemic so across the board uh, the qualified intermediary industry has seen a, a decrease in the volume of exchanges but there hasn't been a decrease in the inquiries that we're getting. And so I, I think what that's telling us is, is people are just waiting on the sidelines to see what's going to happen in the next couple of months before they pull the trigger on doing an exchange. So they're going the distance of or going so far as getting the, the information that they need, thinking about when they want to list their property and get it sold so that they're ready to do the exchange when the time comes. So I, I think that's that's promising because uh, although we're not actually seeing the exchanges coming to fruition yet, they're all just kind of waiting and um, brings us to the next point in terms of some changes. So uh, 
IRS notice 2020-23 offered some extensions to taxpayers that had deadlines that fell between April 1st and July 14th. Basically extended anyone with a deadline that fell in that time frame, extended the deadline to July 15th. So we've got a small subset of our clients that are waiting till that July 15th deadline to see what's going to come available or what will be available in terms of replacement property at that point in time. It didn't necessarily help everyone engaged in an exchange because those that already had certain deadlines passed, it, it didn't really help them, but it was something. It, it gave some flexibility to some of our clients. So the only caveat I would say to that is everybody that's waiting till the July 15th deadline, you're now going to have an influx of, of buyers coming into the market looking competing for basically the same replacement properties. So um, what we're hearing from from other real estate industry experts is, you know, if you're kind of waiting for that boom or, or to get those great deals, this isn't this isn't like any other time before. So um, the time to be looking for those properties and be putting those offers in is now don't wait till July 15th, because then you run the risk of there not being enough of an inventory to choose from. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Everything I've heard, um, the real estate market, basically driven by the residential market, is hot right now. And um, yeah, if clients think they're going to wait till July, they're not going to extend that again. And um, uh, I, they need to be finding property right now. So yeah, I yeah. agree with you 100%. Um, so and I think that's not every market's that hot, but we're in Florida, it's very hot. Even in the city of Chicago, where things are still locked down, I still see, hear about a lot of residential sales that are going on. So there are transactions going on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, uh, so let me switch gears just a little bit again. So the 1031 industry, uh, uh, not, not a lot happens in the way of regulations or changes. Uh, but recently in the last week, we did have a change that came out and um, talking about the definition of real estate. So could you just give us an overview of that? Sure. Um, so these are just proposed regulations. So let, let, let's clarify that. Um, but it, the objective was to define real property specifically as it pertains to 1031. There was a lot of confusion um, because they were pulling from different definitions of real property. And it, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act kind of raised some additional questions specific again to 1031 as to what qualifies as real property versus personal property specifically when dealing with business use, where sometimes there's machinery or there's equipment that's attached to the, the real estate um, that's being sold. So under the proposed regulations, real property is going to include land, improvements to land, unsevered crops and other natural products of, of land, water and airspace that's superjacent to the land, um, and they're also proposing what what a lot feel are favorable provisions for taxpayers with respect to incidental personal property. Um, while the personal property will not be considered part of the real property in the exchange, again, sometimes in transactions, there's incidental property that's transferred with the real property sale. And if the taxpayer keeps that within the 15% safe harbor that's been established, it won't jeopardize the exchange. So that, that's actually good news for taxpayers that if this, we can get clarification on that, then they don't have to worry about um, violating the 1031 regulations by using exchange proceeds to acquire 
what's typically deemed as personal property in the exchange. So um, again, these are just proposed regulations. Hopefully this will bring a lot of clarity to uh, people that are trying to decipher what's real property versus personal property in the future. So what I found with proposed regulations, at least it gives you into an eye into what the IRS is thinking. So, yes. um, so the 15% rule, um, is this uh, replacing the old 10% rule is, or are they different? Do you know? That I don't know. Okay. So with personal, so, um, so when we're talking personal property, um, we're, are we talking more business type property, like you mentioned yes. before? Okay. Yes. Yes. So, because yes. uh, the confusion comes in, especially from a tax and a legal standpoint, is when clients are buying these properties, they're depreciated differently. So, um, attorneys and accountants are always asking questions. So, I think that's one reason why this came up. The owner just wants it all included, but right. um, that's not necessarily what you can do all the time. So, <laughs> understood. Can't have uh, it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let me ask you about, uh, we talked about some of our clients before, cause they're really, uh, these real estate investors are really unique people. So you've been doing this for a long time. Um, you've been in the real estate business even longer. So what, what have you learned from your clients? Uh, what are some of the things that you've taken away or some good stories you have? Never underestimate them for one. Um, I think what they've taught me is never take no as, as the final answer. I, I think that they've taught me personally how to think outside the box and get creative. So if a client calls me and says, can I do this? And I say, well, that's that violates the regulations we're already thinking about here, but here's an alternative. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important, just not just with 1031s, but in life, you know, don't don't just take something at, at face value or take a no. Think about, okay, that's maybe maybe won't work, but what's an alternative strategy that could work? If you know what the rules are, then you know how to work within them and get creative. Um, and I think that it, it's great in terms of the relationships that we get to build. I have clients that I have been working with since I started with Midland, which is nice because it's like a, they're like a part of the family in a way, and they're used to working with us. And I think that that's great. And a lot of them I've never met face to face. So I think that it's, um, it's nice to know that you are able to establish a level of trust with your clients, which is important, particularly when we're asking them, please let me hold your money for about six months or less. Yeah. So um, I, I, I like that. I like that there's there's an opportunity to help clients in, in terms of if they have a goal or an objective. We're a lot of times we're able to figure out something to do. It may not be exactly what they want to do, but we're usually able to figure out an alternative that'll get them where they want to be. And it might even bring them to a better position than they even thought of. Right. No, I, I agree with uh, what you said about uh, many things, but the people we meet, uh, I will say being we are a boutique shop, you know, we're not one of the big factories doing exchanges. We talk to these people. We do guide them, make sure that everything is done right when we get to know them. And you're right. Don't underestimate any of them. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're business owners. They could have inherited the money they could have, and they've invested it for years. They could be we, a lot of farmers we see. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they always have great stories. 
um, just uh, all kinds of different people. So it's uh, it's a very interesting business from that standpoint of, uh, of what you see. The other thing I'll say is what I've learned from them. Like I said, don't underestimate them. You know, back in the day we would do an exchange. It was five, six, seven hundred thousand, and now um, man, million dollar exchanges are commonplace. So yeah. the market has really um, improved or increased, I should say, over time. So definitely. Anyway. Definitely. Okay. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. Am I am I am I off the hot seat now? Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, as you mentioned earlier, you've obviously been in business longer um, than I have, mm -hmm. and you've been a business owner for over twenty six years. How have you seen the ten thirty one industry change? And the second part to that question is, what do you think is going to change in the future? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, the one thing I want to just comment on is back in the day, we did hundreds of exchanges where we had clients that had a two bedroom condo they rented in a, a resort community and they just did a standard 1031 to a three bedroom condo. Like we just did mm -hmm. so many of those because they were all rentals and it was just a great deal for them because basically they didn't come out of pocket. They could sell it move up into a better unit, not pay any tax. So we used to see tons of those. So um, I, I just, I can think of the units where we did so many of those. Um, what have I seen change? I will tell you there's so much more technology than there uh, used to be, um, not just in our business. I mean, I look now, we do everything by DocuSign, you know, the way the wires go out, um, the way we communicate with our clients, it's everything's just the technology has completely changed. And now our website, the redos, there's there's so much. So it's different from that standpoint. Um, it's improved. Uh, where it's going, I do think the technology, I, I honestly think we're probably just touching the surface of where we're going to go with our technology in the next few years. You know, you look at, I just read that uh, DocuSign and Adobe are both working on electronic notary. So that will be commonplace. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were talking the end of the year. So changes like that, I think, will continue. I think where we are in Southwest Florida, but Florida in general, um, I'm going to be honest, the psychology is right now, um, I mean, our market is booming because people are moving out of uh, the cities of New York where the taxes are high. I'm not picking on New York. I'm just saying um, Illinois. Um, uh, right now, I heard the three biggest hotspots uh, where people are coming from to Southwest Florida are Boston, um, New York, and Illinois. So that tells you something that people are looking for the lifestyle that's offered down here. So I, those are the changes that I see coming. I, it's interesting because you, you said a couple of things. One, um, we're also seeing quite a few leaving California mm -hmm. or not knocking California, <laughs> but your taxes are a little high. Um, and then the technology component, I, I, I couldn't agree more because I can remember when we used to hand write fax requests and fax mm -hmm. them to the bank and, and doing that differently. I think the challenge is always going to be you want to go with the technology, but you also want to keep the service component intact and, right. and, and making sure that um, you don't lose that personal touch with and i think i think i mean i'm not just saying this because i work for the company but yeah. i think that we i think we do keep that good balance of clients are still always so surprised when they call in and they feel they have to explain who
Thank you for joining us for this Midland Pulse session. For questions or for more information on this topic, give us a call at 239-333-1032. We're here to help. You can also access this and other Pulse sessions by visiting www.midlandtrust.com forward slash Pulse.